Let me first thank you for coming. I, um, those of you who are not normally here on Wednesday nights, I know that you've made quite a sacrifice to be here and, and adjust your schedules, and, and, I, and I do appreciate that. I, um, I do not make my invitation and my plea lightly. Um, I did not uh, do that with, on a whim. Uh, it's something that I, I hope you will see the importance of before we're finished. So thank you again for coming, and, and hopefully uh, our time spent together will, um, will ready us. Let me first tell you a little bit about my timing. Why, why um, do we start on November the 7th to, um, to do what I'm about to do? Well, let, let me tell you uh, something about the timing. Um, we have uh, the three weeks in November, and then we have a congregational meeting that will take place on December the 5th, at which time we will elect some elders. Uh, then uh, we take off for the rest of December and do not resume meeting here on Wednesday nights until January the 9th, which means that we're awfully close, uh, if not, uh, and I, I don't think we'll be in the 9th, but I, we wouldn't have time to do what I want to do in these three weeks and prepare you. So it, 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 it was moved all the way back until November. Really, um, you know, I'd like to re- be doing it in December, but we're not going to meet in December uh, because you've got all so many other things to do. So that at least gives you an idea about timing. Um, let me tell you the concern that drives me, and, uh, and hopefully you'll, you'll get a flavor for this kind of uh, town meeting that I, I, I proposed and hopefully can uh, um, uh, draw you into. Uh, my, um, my concern is the, the dampening of a spirit of celebration. Um, that is, I think, ladies and gentlemen, that you and I as a church have a lot to celebrate. Uh, in one sense, our building project has gone far too easily. Um, the, you continue to be generous in your giving. Uh, the money is right on track. The building has faced no real delays nor difficulties. And um, there is much that we have to be grateful for, much that we have to celebrate. Now, uh, I'm concerned that uh, there are some things that could dampen that spirit of celebration. Uh, what? How? What, what, what things do you have in mind, Jimmy, that could um, dampen the spirit of celebration and, and restrict us enjoying all that God has, has done in our midst in these last 18 months? Ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, one of my heroes is a guy by the name of Tim Hansel, and Tim Hansel says, until further notice, celebrate everything. Well, that's, what I, that's the spirit that I want to captivate you as we move into these wonderful holidays and then uh, crowned with uh, moving into a sanctuary that uh, really is a long-awaited um, uh, tool for our, our ministry. So... Um, how would the spirit of celebration be dampened? Well, this is what I'm suggesting to you. That um, perceptions, perceptions that do not match reality, would dampen our whole enjoyment of something that we ought to enjoy to the utter max. Uh, 
Do you remember when our uh, previous president, uh, Bill Clinton, rest him? Um, Bill Clinton openly stated that uh, that is the way that he got elected. That is, through the creation of some perceptions. You remember his uh, uh, spinners, George Stephanopoulos and James Carville, who, uh, you know, talked openly in the news magazines about not really having to base things on facts, but uh, just to spin a perception. I, I heard Adrian Rogers say one time that, that perception is the cruelest form of reality. And so I, I'm, I'm concerned about some perceptions that may come along with what we're about to enjoy that would dampen the spirit of our celebration. And so um, what I want to do is address some perceptions and try to um, avoid perceptions that do not match reality. Um, and, I, and I hope you'll see what I'm talking about as we unfold tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to undergo a shock to our system. Now, it's not a bad shock. I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a shock to our system, and the shock, of course, is the move that we're about to um, enjoy. Um, I want to suggest to you that uh, moving from there to there is going to be a bigger shock to your system than moving from Murray Road to our first building. Now, many of you weren't, weren't a part of that Murray Road move. But I, the reason I say it's going to be a bigger shock is because everybody who's a part of a church plant knows that you've got to have a home. And so when you move from your temporary location over on Murray Road into your first home, you know, there's just a joy to that, that uh, you, know, you know that you're beginning to build roots. Well, we built roots, and we built four buildings, and now we're about to enter number five, and, and I want to suggest to you that, that with that move, there is the potential of some mistakes mistaken perceptions. And I want to address those. I want to address as many as I can in three weeks, and, and I hope you'll stick with me for the three weeks. Um, I want to try and make sure that the perceptions that we together as a family have match reality and do not distort it so that we don't detract in any way from a spirit of grand celebration. Gang, I want us to be able to go over there and arrive there with nothing but wind beneath our wings and sail on into uh, to a greater possible usefulness to God. That building is nothing but a tool. It's all it is. And it's a tool that we hope... By the way, do you know that we've already gotten two? One was an email from a... The two, and one was a phone call. Maybe it was to somebody from people who do not go to this church, saying how much they appreciate our steeple. Isn't that something? I mean, there, there's, there are impressions being made. I think the thing they really enjoyed is seeing the senior pastor go up in that little bucket up there. Um, that's what was really a joy to them. But, I mean, we have already aroused interest by a steeple. That's, that just amazes me. Uh, just, but I'm saying... I'm not concerned about their perceptions. I'm concerned about yours. Because if the Lord leads them here, they'll build their perceptions. But I want to make sure that your perceptions match reality. So that once we arrive, we can do so with nothing but celebration on our lips. 
here's the first thing that tends to be a, a, um, a potential perception that I think could really be unfortunate. It has to do with growth. Um, gang, cultural values have so captured the church that we tend to equate size with success. If a church isn't growing, somebody has done something wrong. Um, maybe the pastor or the elders uh, haven't analyzed the market uh, well enough or haven't invested in the right programs. Uh, and maybe that's the reason why the church hasn't become uh, as big as it ought to be and it's not growing. And because of that cultural value that has seeped into the church, there is a whole movement in the evangelical world, ladies and gentlemen, known as the church growth movement. It has been around for 15 years. It's nothing new. The reason that I brought these books, uh, I'm not going to read from them, but I have read every one of these books. Theological Perspectives on Church Growth. What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest? Design for Church Growth. Habits for Highly Effective Churches. The Healthy Church. Your Church Can Grow. Dynamics of Church Growth. The Reconstruction of the Church. Creative Leadership. How to Grow a Church. Unleashing the Church. Growing Pangs. A, a theology of Church Growth. Understanding Church Growth. I wonder, I've read every one of them. There are magazines. There are conferences that you can go to and you can learn all of the latest um, strategies to grow your church and church growth this movement within evangelicalism has become the hottest business in the religious world today um, if the customer is king then the church has to react as any other organization does to a consumer demand by finding the right marketing strategy um, according to one church growth movement leader, people that are in this thing, a minister, and I'm quoting, a minister's performance is measured not by faithfulness to the gospel, but by whether the, the quote, the people keep coming and keep giving. With the right strategy, there's no limit to growth. It's simply a matter of finding the right formula. And so to that end, the church growth movement uh, and all the professional organizations in it furnish the church uh, the, the same kind of services that you can get as a politician, as a poll reader, as um, um, you've got market studies and message analysis and image making and advertising and product labeling. They're all in here. Um, guys, I read an ad in a Christian magazine, uh, and it wasn't recently, it was, a, it was a couple of years ago, and that, the ad in the Christian magazine said, uh, it boasted that 10% of your city's population can be won to Christ in 24 hours if you use their program. We need to get that program, don't you think? I mean, we probably built a little small, but... Um, uh, that's 100,000 people who can be won to Christ by dinner time tomorrow if we'll just use their strategy. They come up with these um, uh, X uh, times Y equals... X. I even saw a statistic, ladies and gentlemen, that says um, you can expect one conversion 
for, and I forget the amount of money, uh, but for how much, for, for the amount of money that you invest, if you invest $10,000, you can expect 17.6 conversions or something like that. So you invest enough money, you can, it, it can produce the kind of, the kind of um, result that you want. Um, one of the uh, um, mega churches in this country um, boasted about sending their staff to study firms like IBM, Xerox, and Disney World um, to study how they grow their business. Gang, the pressure is subtle, but everybody feels it, especially pastors. Are you growing? Now, when we move out there um, and growth occurs like some have predicted that it most certainly will, I have a friend, and he's a dear friend, he's a pastor in this town, that he guarantees me that when we move into that building, we will double in size. Now, guys, I don't agree with that. I, <clears throat> I, I, don't, think that, I don't think that kind of growth is going to happen because I think Gracie Van is a fairly difficult place to go to church. I mean, you've got to be pretty stout-hearted to go to a church where Jimmy Young is your pastor. I mean, you've got to have alligator skin. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, <clears throat> now, here's my concern. If we move out there and that kind of growth occurs, I'm afraid that some may begin to think, that's why we exist now. That's what Gracie Van is all about now. He's finally got what he wanted and the staff has got, and now we are into that same uh, success equals size syndrome. Uh, the pastoral staff can really fly now. Because um, everything that all the other churches have, we now have. I can only tell you that is not the truth. Guys, we don't measure our success as a ministry here at Gracie Van by attendance or money or buildings, and we never have. Those are not what we sit around at staff meetings and talk about. Um, we had a staff meeting on Tuesday, and we talked about grace groups. Uh, the, the advance of what's happening in grace groups. We never, I have not been in a discussion as long as I've been in the pastor of this church about how to get greater results and produce bigger numbers because that is our chief aim. Nobody on our staff or any of our elders that I know of are caught up in that kind of longing to see twice as many people when we move out there. Nobody is biting their nails saying, oh, it's going to be so good. We're going to have twice as many people. And, and I think I can prove that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, for instance, not every church that you know of requires a new members class. 
Um, not every church that you know of requires an interview that's eyeball to eyeball as to somebody bearing their testimony. You know, guys, we have had a theme around here, and the elders can tell you, and most of the elders are here tonight, but uh, we've had a theme around here. And I, I, really, I really think, well, I think I know the origin of the theme, and that is we never bet on the come. Do you know what our budget is this year? It's less than last year. And we're facing that. Now, doesn't that say something? It says, I, I hope it says something to you. We're trying to, we're, we're trying to uh, uh, cinch in our belts. Not say, oh, we got growth coming and therefore it'll all be fine. Let's just spin. And, and I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't know that you'll agree with this. But I want to suggest that when we engaged in the look campaign, we didn't hustle any of you. I don't... Do you realize, I mean, I hope you know that not one dime of your money was given to an outside consultant. I probably would be a whole lot saner if we had given some money to an outside consultant, but we had a commitment to you. And that is that we weren't going to turn you over to some outsider and let him manipulate you. And so whatever we were going to do, we were going to get up there, we were going to tell the truth, and we were going to do what we could, and let's see what happens. And it was much harder, much harder. I mean, they got these nice slides and slicks and brochure. We wrote all of ours. Now, all I'm saying is, I'm just trying to say to you that, that is, those are evidences that we are not trying to move towards a position that growth can become our consuming desire. It is not a numerical growth that excites us. Now, having said that, there is a growth that does excite us. And let me tell you about that. Because I, I, I know you probably know what's coming, but it's important to me to reaffirm to you that in all of the hustle that may occur, this is what we are committed to. We are committed to it. We have been committed to it. We will be committed to it. It is not changed. And growth has not in any way caused us to rethink us. If indeed there is any. Um, the growth that we're about, ladies and gentlemen, is transformed lives. That is what really turns our crank. Seeing you become more and more thrilled about the gospel. Discovering that the provisions of Jesus Christ were far better than you ever dreamed when you embraced Him. To understand that your marriage is on more solid footing than it ever has been. To help people walk through problems and to arrive on the other side of them in a way that um, um, would, would see them more mature in the faith. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about, and we'll introduce him soon to you, but he, he begins his job on um, December the 1st. We have hired a singles director. He is an employee, an ex-employee of Second Chance Ministries. 
Now, does anybody know what Second Chance Ministries is? It was a drug rehab for teenagers. Had a great ministry here. It just, I could tell you the reason why they had to pull the plug, and it's sad, but um, they've had to pull the plug. One of the reasons that prompted us to go after Jonathan Todd was we felt like if that resource was no longer going to be available to the people of God, we wanted somebody on our staff that could help our people with their children who are wrestling with a drug issue, or even adults. We wanted somebody here for you that could help you work through even the difficulties of that problem. That, ladies and gentlemen, thrills our soul to see people grow up and change and become more conformed to Jesus. You know, the text that um, is, is known by all of you, I think, long before now, but uh, is talking about um, Jesus giving gifts in Ephesians 4, and he says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor-teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. That, ladies and gentlemen, turns this pastoral staff on. Trying to help you discover how God has gifted you so that you can plug in to a ministry for the building up and the edifying of the body of Christ. We are here in the hopes that we can equip you in your ministry. You've heard me use this term before, and it's a Ray Stedman term, that, that my job is as a player coach. I'm in this to try and help you hone your skills and the gifts that God has given you. I, I, we're not trying to produce a spectator sport around here. You, you know the little adage that Ray Stedman used to say about the church is a spectator sport. It's just like watching a football game. You've got 80,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise and 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest. Well, guys, that's, that happens in a lot of churches and perhaps it happens to some degree here. But what we exist for is to, is to help you discover what it is that Jesus has called you to. Do you remember what Paul Koester said in their missions conference? About you're all a missionary, you've all got a calling on your life. We're just trying to help you find it. And, and plug you in, develop your gift, and deploy it for the upbuilding and expansion of the kingdom of God. That growth thrills us. Um, there, there's a statement in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, I, uh, let me read it. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. We're not worried about the reputation of pastors. We're not, we don't care who gets the credit. What we want is to see increase that God is working in individual souls. Um, there's nothing, guys, inherently wrong about uh, a numerical growth. Healthy organisms normally grow. It's a, it's, it, it's a diseased body that doesn't grow. Um, and sometimes you can identify growth as the blessing of God. It surely was at Pentecost. It's interesting that Pentecost even mentions the number of people that were added to the church on that day when the gospel was first preached. Uh, 3,000 people in one day, that kind of growth would make the slickest of the church growth movement people um, drool with excitement. But guys, the key at Pentecost was that God was giving the increase. That kind of growth 
Oh my. Um, we're after. And it doesn't matter whether a church uses skits or contemporary music or racquetball courts, ladies and gentlemen. What matters is biblical fidelity. Um, and if a church, I think I can say this, if a church is faithful to this book and is energetically engaged in seeking to see people's lives conform to it and it grows, that's something we can celebrate. Using a marketing strategy, finding out what the customer wants so that we can have more people, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it has never crossed our minds. Not once has trying to make ourselves marketable ever crossed our minds. Um, if a church engages in somewhat of a, a deception, that is, don't say anything that will upset the people uh, and then preach a message that is intended to keep... A, Everybody in a state of some kind of perpetual bliss, and then and then later on we'll talk to them about what it means to be, uh, you know, related to Jesus. I, I, I can't help but believe, ladies and gentlemen, that there's something there's something real human and carnal about that. You know, guys. Um, years ago, uh, actually, I, I, I should be ashamed to tell you this. It was in right before we moved into the first building. It was in '94. Um, I preached three sermons on hell. And um, let me tell you one of my motivations. They were more for me than they were for you. They were designed to see if I had sold my soul. Would I stand up here and tell you that, which is the most difficult thing to discuss with you. I remember years ago, I preached a sermon on money, and you, most of you know how... how how difficult that one sermon a year is on me. I, I don't enjoy that sermon, although I, I, I think I'm wrong. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I, I've got all kinds of emotional problems, folks. And that, that's just the beginning. Um, <laughs> but I just have that. I, I do. I struggle over that. And uh, I did one one time, and it was, it was probably one of the, in, um, the, the boldest that I had done. We came home for lunch. We were still living on Aniston Cove, and I and I remember Megan. It came to Sunday lunch, my, my middle child, and she said, she sat down at the end of the table. She said, "Well, Daddy, at least you haven't sold your soul." And I thought, you know, from time to time, I'm going to have to get behind this thing and do things just to make sure that I'm willing to say the hard things. That because, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't hear the truth from the scripture from the from the church, where are you going to hear it? Who's going to tell it to you? And so, guys, there's one of those, but one of these books of yours talking about how much growth you should have and how much you shouldn't have, and, and if you've got too much, preach a hard series. <laughs> Just manipulate it, you know? Well, guys, um, that's not my motive. My motive was to see that I haven't sold my soul, that I would stand up there and, you know, and let people pass me by Sunday morning as they're heading to their cars with this kind of... You know, what in the world's gotten into you, Bubba? But guys, if you, if, you, if you get behind a pulpit and you try to do something that will keep people in a state of perpetual enjoyment of your pulpit ministry, you've sold your soul. 
I want to read you a quote from Richard Newhouse. He says, Growth for growth's sake, man-made growth can be spiritually deadening. Institutional growth is the last refuge of ministries that are spiritually sterile. Did you get that? I just love that. Institutional growth is the last refuge of ministries that are spiritually sterile. Ladies and gentlemen, the pastors, I mean, the elders of this church ought to be putting pressure on me. They ought to be putting pressure on the whole staff. But a pressure that is designed to see our people transformed. I know a pastor in Ocala, Florida, whose salary is tied to the number of people who join the church. I, I guess I'd work harder, I guess. You did say something like that. But there ought to be pressure. But not pressure for that. Pressure that our people are responding to the, to the Word of God in such a way um, that their lives are being transformed and more conformed to the image of Christ. Now, guys, let me say real quickly, we ain't got much time. Um, we're going to make an effort to be appealing here at Grace of Anna. There is a fine line that we've got to walk between being faithful and marketing ourselves. But you must know, and I hope you will know at the base of your souls, that our key concern is not being marketable, but being faithful. And leaving that issue of growth right where it belongs, squarely, in the hands of God. Let Him grow this thing. If He wants to, bula bula. But if He doesn't, we're committed to the 1,500 of you who are already here to see you transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. If you want to pray for something, don't pray for growth. Pray for fidelity. Pray for humility. Pray for the fear of God. Pray for that. Um, you know, when a, when a new restaurant opens, have you ever been in one of those traps? You know, you're just dying to see what you and so the new restaurant opens and everybody, you go in there for the first three weeks and you just can't get a seat. You've got to wait three hours to get in. And, and, then, um, and then, of course, it starts tailing off. I expect there may be a little of that. You know, let's see that new building. You know, what, what kind of people they got, you know. But what is it that keeps people coming back to restaurants? It's the food. And ladies and gentlemen, if they come back here, we want them to come back because they're so richly fed. Um, if there is this initial burst, don't get too excited. Guys, I, 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 I'll tell you, I won't be. Um, we had an initial burst on September. We had a big burst of growth on September the 16th. That lasted a week. Let's make sure that the quality of the food is the thing that keeps them coming back. And I want you to know, with every fiber of my being, I'm committed to that. And so is every member of the staff. I want to close. I've got six minutes, and I, that should do it. I want to close. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to turn with me to one of... I mean, I've, I've used this text a couple of times from the pulpit. If you've been around Grace, you know this is one of my favorites. It's in Ezekiel. I don't really like the book of Ezekiel, but there's a couple of chapters in it that are just dynamite. Uh, chapter 16. 
And with this, we'll close. I want to just close with this story out of Ezekiel 16. I'm going to have to read it, but I'm going to have to read it fast because there's a lot of it. And we got, now it's five minutes. Um, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God of Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of the things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field where you, you yourself were loathed on the day that you were born. <laughs> what a beginning. Guys, how many of you were around on the first Sunday, February the 10th, 1991? How many of you? Can I, can I see your hands? Let me ask you this. Do you remember the news article? Do you remember the news article that came out on the day before we opened? I felt like this baby, you know, that nobody cut their umbilical cord. It was like, oh my goodness, we're dead in the water. We just started we haven't even opened and we're dead. They described us as being a place that was only interested in yuppies. And I had, uh, I had made a couple of foolish statements that Bill Garner used to get on to me and say, from now on, Jimmy, when the, when, the, when the paper calls, here's what you are to do. Just say no. <laughs> and that's what we did. And Bill kept us out of trouble. But I mean, ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's, what, that's what our start... Reminds me of when I look back on that newspaper article that sent my wife into a tailspin of depression, which she wouldn't even go to the mailbox. Um, that's what it reminds me of. And keep reading. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you, in your, in your blood, live. You know, there's Gracie Van and that stupid senior pastor wallowing in his blood, and the Lord God said, And, and uh, I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew and matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant. I washed you in water, I thoroughly washed you, I anointed you with oil, I clothed you in embroidered cloth, I adorned you with ornaments, I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears. Look who's at work there, ladies and gentlemen. Notice the personal pronoun. First person singular. I, 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 I. Who's that I? The Lord God Himself. And I'm telling you, gang, there is a sense in which what He did for Israel, He's done for Gracie Van. We haven't had a split here. Do you know that the, the, the original prognostications is that Bill Garner and I wouldn't make it two years? They were pretty smart. <laughs> but God did something. He adorned us in spite of us. Um, and then verse 15. We didn't weep. But you trusted in your own beauty. And then it goes on to talk about our harlotry, all in metaphorical terms. But there's Israel all grown up now. And she chooses to use the very things that were given to her as blessings from God as instruments for her own prostitution. Look around you, my brother and sister in Christ. We have rich relationships in this church, don't we? We have some 
sweet friends here. We have a plant that's worth a lot of money and 45 acres and, and uh, a wonderful debt ratio, I'm told by Floyd Harvey, whatever that is. And God adorned us with put earrings in our nose and all that business. And what did Israel do? She trusted in her own beauty and turned into a prostitute. Did you get that point? God has richly blessed us, my brother and sister in Christ, and we must never forget from whence those blessings came. And who brought us to this point that we're about to engage in celebration? Let's not miss one particle of it by thinking that they're only interested in getting big. And we're not, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to know if that's a perception that you have, it does not match reality. We're interested in growth. We're interested in seeing the people of God grow up into maturity. Let's go celebrate. Our Father, I do pray that you will prepare us for whatever you have for us. We, uh, big, little, small, grand, what we don't know and really aren't concerned. What we're concerned about is fidelity, accuracy, loyalty, faithfulness. We're concerned about humility. We're concerned about the fear of God. So, Father... Might every person who's heard what has been said here tonight not miss out on any of the joy that should be ours as we experience and enjoy that which you and you only provided for a group of sinners who gather under the name of Grace Evangelical Church. We're all yours, Lord. We always have been. We're reminded of how dependent we are on you the more you bless us. So, Father, take it all away. But do not desert us yourself. We do not want to go up from here accompanied by an angel. We want to go up from here accompanied by you. Have mercy on us, O oh God, and grant our request. We make it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for coming. I hope you'll come the next two, the 14th and the 21st. We've got a couple other things to talk about, and, and I hope they'll be profitable for you. See you later.